Lord, you indeed are holy and worthy is the lamb that was slain, that you loved us so much you'd rather die than live without us, Lord. And because you're holy, we are holy. Not because of our good works, but because of your great work upon the cross. And Lord, we come before you humbly and hungry, Lord, to receive from you tonight, to be fed from your word. May you be our teacher. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so raise your hand. I know you asked before, but if you got missed somehow. If you have your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 14. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Hey guys, I do want to encourage you about the men's retreat. I know in past years we've had a certain number of spots, and you could wait till the last day and still we'd find a way to make it happen. It's not going to happen this year just because there's 12 different Calvary chapels that are coming, and there's 270 spots or something like that, and it's just first come, first serve. So if you have a heart to go, I would encourage you to go ahead and get that sent in. I know you're going to be blessed. It's going to be a great time. Um, And again, I think as Bill mentioned, uh, we do have a need in the children's ministry. We'd love to see uh, more people get involved if you feel called to do that. We don't want anybody doing things out of contrition, though. Pray about it and make sure you've heard from the Lord. Amen? The kids deserve to have people in there called by God, not just somebody filling in. All right. Well, that being said, we're going to pick up in Joshua 14, and I titled the message, Holy, Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy, Following the Lord. Completely Holy, Following the Lord. Now, as we've seen so far by way of quick review, we know that the children of Israel had missed out on God's highest because when time came, when they got to the Jordan River, they saw the giants in the land. Instead of entering in, trusting in God's word, they saw the the giantness or the greatness of their circumstances. And instead, they listened to the the false prophecy of of the spies who were wimping out. And what did they do instead? They murmured, and as we're going to see in tonight's text, even clamored to go back to Egypt even. We should have just died in Egypt. And sadly, that entire generation passed away, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Now, last week, we got to the point where that next generation, through Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, the next generation now is prepared to enter into Jordan. And finally, they did cross over the Jordan. Now, as we said, Egypt, a type of the what? Oh, man. Egypt, a type of what? The world. Okay. Okay. And or, or a picture of being in bondage to sin, right? And then through Passover, a picture of what? The cross of Christ. Wow, you guys are asleep. All right. Passover is a picture of what? The cross. The cross. All right. Through the shed blood of the cross, the pa- you know, again, the Passover lamb, the blood in the shape of a cross, they were able to be freed from the bondage in Egypt. They went over the Red Sea, which is a picture of what? Water baptism, okay? They went through the Red Sea. They were at Mount Sinai where the law was given unto them. It was there that God gave them clear direction. They were headed to the land of promise. They had God leading them all the way. And sadly, they got there and missed out on God's highest. And so this next generation now has come to that same place where the previous generation failed. And they've entered in. But as we saw last week, there were two and a half tribes... Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh, they decided after they defeated Sihon and Og, it was better to just stay just outside of the land of promise. And we talked about how there's so many Christians today living just like that. 
that they've been delivered from bondage, they're born again, they're going to heaven, but they're not experiencing all that God has for them. They're not walking in the center of God's will. They're, again, content with a get-out-of-hell-free card and the promise of heaven, but they're missing out on so much more that God has for them. And so God's desire for each and every one of us is that we would have more than the salvation experience, which is the starting point, not the finishing point, but that we'd be disciples following Him wholeheartedly set apart unto God. And as we talked about last week, the Jordan River is a picture or a type of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That God, subsequent to salvation, there is something more. In Luke, He breathed the Spirit in them, and then He said, Go and wait, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Now, there were those who were content outside. And that's what we talked about last week. What a, how heartbreaking that is to God. And how much are they missing out on being satisfied with what the world has to offer? Why did they want to stay outside of Jordan? Because the battle had already been won. Because it was really comfortable there. Because the fortresses were already set up and the grass was green for their cattle. Let's just stay here where it's easy. As Christians, we can fall into that same temptation. We can go where it's easy and just camp out. Hey man, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm just going to chill right here. And you know what? May we always be growing. Amen? Christianity is like a grease pole, either climbing up or sliding down. There is no stagnant walk with God. You're drawing closer to Him or you're falling away. And God desires that we would pursue Him with our whole hearts. Come unto me, He would say. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to know rest? It's not resting outside of Him, it's resting in Him. It's drawing near unto Him. So that brings us to chapter 14. And now we've seen the two and a half tribes that settled outside of the land. And now we're going to look at the nine and a half tribes that have settled in the land. And we're going to see how the, beginning to see over the next few chapters, how that land is distributed. But as we look at that, we're also going to take a look at a guy who I think after you read this text tonight, you're going to like even more than you already do if you don't know much about him. And it's a man by the name of Caleb. And Caleb, as we know, and we're going to see, was one of the two spies that went in with Joshua. But I'll tell you what, I really like this guy. And every time I study through this text or study through things where I read about Caleb more and more, I love this guy's heart. And I believe there's so much we can learn by looking at this man by, by the name of Caleb, who not only remembered God's promises, but acted faithfully upon them, even in the face of overwhelming circumstances, even at a very well-advanced age, even though the giants were in the land, he was a man who wholly followed God. So the title of the message is Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy Following the Lord. First of all, we're going to see the distribution of the inheritance Everybody who enters in inherits part of the land. Then we're going to see Caleb remembers God's promise. And then lastly, he acts faithfully upon the promise God had given to them, even in the midst of great circumstances. So let's begin in verse 1 of Joshua 14, holy following the Lord. Beginning first to look at the distribution of the land on the west side, or the promised land side of the Jordan. Verse 1. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. So who inherited the land? The children of Israel. Do all of the children of Israel enter in? What's the answer? No. So it's available to them, but it's an inheritance. It's not something they earned. It didn't go out and win a battle and all of a sudden, okay, because you battled for me, I'm going to give you this. It was simply a free gift that was offered to every child, every one of the children of Israel, but they had to enter in to receive it. What does that sound like? Salvation today. 
You know, salvation is offered to all men, but we're not all the children of God. Amen? People say all God's children, like it means every person on the planet. You're adopted into God's family. Amen? And if you don't know Him, you're not one of God's children. We're either for Him or against Him. We're either His children or we're enemies of God. And there is nothing in between. Pastor Dave, that's black and white. So's the Bible. Amen? Amen? And you know what? It should be an encouragement to us to say, hey, I'm not, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to let my friends who think, oh, there's a belief in a God. That's not good enough. We need to know the true and living God in a personal and an intimate way. And so the children of Israel were invited into the land, and it was an inheritance. It was free. Here it is. I've paid the price. You're fighting from, from victory. Come on into the land. All who would come in would inherit the land. But sadly, not all of them would, would enter in. And you know what? It just breaks my heart to think about so many walking around without Jesus Christ today. I can't imagine life without Jesus. I can't imagine life without Jesus. I can't imagine facing the struggles and the trials and being a husband and a father and all those things without the Lord. And you know when I see people on the mall or walking around town and sometimes I just get to the point of brokenness and weeping for them because I can't imagine if they don't know the Lord what their life must be like. Come on in. There's plenty of room. Amen? Come on in. The Lord loves you. He'd rather die than live without you. It's an inheritance that's not earned. The battle's already been won. It's simply received by obedience to God's promises. All who enter in would inherit the land, this land of promise, this land flowing with milk and honey. And what God has for us is always better than what the world has to offer. Always. So many people will say to me, well, Pastor Dave, I I don't want to be too sold out for God because I'll just miss out on too much. Can I tell you something right now? If you're sold out for God, you won't miss out on anything. And nobody's going to stand before Almighty God in Judgment Day and say, I wish I'd done less for the kingdom of God. I wish I'd hung out more with my friends. I wish I had spent more time doing other things. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last, and nothing else is going to matter. Amen? And so we see the children are all entered in, and all who would enter in would receive an inheritance. That means when we come to the Lord, not only does He save us, not only does He bring us into His presence, but then He gives us gifts, as He does to these tribes. He gives them an inheritance in His land. God's highest is always that we would all come and simply enter in. Now look who's with them. It says, which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Eleazar is the high priest. And notice that he's mentioned first. Now, it's important to note that they're going to, in a minute, cast lots. But it's important to note here that the first person mentioned is the high priest, the one who intercedes between God and man. Eleazar, his name means God has helped. And in a lot of ways, he's a type or a picture of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, I will send you another what? Helper. God has helped Eleazar. That's what his name means. And he succeeded Aaron as the high priest. He was the third son of Aaron. What happened to Aaron's first two sons? Who remembers? They got smoked, literally. Nadab and Abihu. Remember what happened? They defiled the Holy of Holies and they got smoked. Because they were only supposed to go in on the Day of Atonement. They were only supposed to go in with the proper sacrifice. And only the high priest was supposed to go in. And they went in. 
And they went in at a different time. And they went in with a, a false offering before Almighty God. And that's a picture that if any of us comes before Almighty God any other way but through Jesus Christ, the result's going to be the same. He's the great high priest, amen? Only He is the proper sacrifice. And only can we come before Almighty God if we come through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No other way can we come to Almighty God. Well, Eleazar is there, the high priest, help. Moses numbered the people earlier. He had inaugurated Joshua as leader. And Eleazar's presence, again, even him being listed first, reveals that they were seeking God when it came time to divide up the land. Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua's name is also transliterated what? Jesus. Yeshua. It's Jesus. As we said before, Moses could not bring them into the land. Moses is a type of the law. Only Joshua could. Jesus can. Moses, the law cannot save us. Being good cannot save us. We can only get there through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Eleazar, God has helped. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads and guides and directs our lives. But it's Jesus or Joshua who's the one who can bring us in. And the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, this was important because they wanted to make sure that the people didn't feel like it was unfair. Because what was going to happen, we're going to see this in just a moment, it might be a little confusing to you, they're going to cast lots to see who gets what part of the territory. They're going to roll the dice, if you will, and see which land each person, each tribe would receive. But I want you to notice again that while they're going to cast lots, and this is one of the few times in Scripture that we see God ordaining that, there's a few other times, I don't believe we should be doing that anymore, by the way. We don't need lots. we got the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit, Amen. We have God's Word in our hand. So you don't go, if the Lord wants me to move, I'll roll a seven. <laughs> I've known people to do that. I'm serious. I had a guy tell me one time, he was going to propose to this girl, and he said, if I bowl a strike, I'll propose. I'm like, dude, that, that's a mess. Amen? I said, for her sake, I hope you get a gutter ball, man, if that's the <laughs> mentality. But the point is that we don't cast lots anymore. But in this case, God had called him to cast lots. And God had called Eliezer to be there and Joshua to be there and all the 12 tribes to be there so that none of them would feel like they were being treated unfairly. Nobody could question. But notice again, it's not voted on by men. We don't vote. Where do you see in the Bible them voting for anything? It's not a democracy. Amen? Jesus Christ is in charge. Nobody else. He alone is God. He makes the rules. We don't, I think the Lord wouldn't do, what you think is irrelevant, what does the Bible say? Amen? What does God's word say? That's the only thing that matters. And so we see that, that they've, been, they've been gifted, they've been blessed, they come from God, again, not from men, that these this lots would be cast, but the Lord would be overseeing it. It would be a divine opportunity orchestrated by God and not by men. So look what it says there in verse 2. The inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. Remember, two and a half tribes settled outside of the land of promise. Nine and a half would settle on the inside. Their inheritance was by lot. Now, it's, according to Jewish tradition, this is what happened. We don't know for sure. They had two urns. In one urn, they had the name of each of the tribes. And in the other urn, they had a territory marked out. And they would draw them both out at the same time. Whatever name, with whatever territory, that was what you got. Now, we can look at that and think, man, that's totally random. And you know what? If man did it on his own, it would be. But if that's the way God chooses, chose to do it in this case, which he did, then God was on it. Amen? 
And man couldn't change it or manipulate it in any way because God is in control. And so no matter what happens going on around us, you guys, sometimes you think man is manipulating things and he may be attempting to, but God is still God. And they can't vote God out of office and he's still going to be in charge no matter what man does. Amen? He's a faithful God and we can trust him. So they cast these lots for each of these tribes to determine where their land would be within the land of promise. Verse 3 and 4. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan, but the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. Now wait a minute. There's 12 tribes. The Levites are one of them. How can there be nine and a half on one side and two and a half on the other? That's still 12 tribes when there's only 12 sons of Jacob. Who are the 12 sons of Jacob? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, Benjamin. 12. Now why, how can there then be 12 tribes if the Levites, Levi, they're not going to inherit any of the property or any of the land? And why were they not given any of the land? Look what it says there. But the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. If you remember from last week, the Levites' inheritance was what? Or who? The Lord. The Lord. They got the best inheritance of them all. Their inheritance was Almighty God because they were called to serve God full time. And they would have some land that they would you know, camp out in amongst all the different tribes, but they had no set-aside territory that belonged to them. In one sense, you might think, well, that's kind of a bummer. But in another sense, they didn't have to focus on the cattle or anything else, really. They had small amounts they cared for, but they could focus on serving God full-time. And that's an incredible blessing to be able to serve God full-time. Verse 4, For the children of Joseph were two tribes. Here's where the other tribes come from. Somebody's got to replace Levi. And so Joseph was the son that was blessed. He was the one that received a blessing from his father. Now, Joseph's life didn't start off that way, did it? Joseph started off, uh, let's face it, a little bit arrogant. And he told his brothers the truth, but probably not the best of timing. Came out with a coat of many colors, and everybody was jealous of that. And he said, by the way, I had a dream. You're all bowing to me. Now, if you've got a bunch of big brothers, and you come out and tell them you're all bowing to me, probably not going to be real thrilled with that. And so they decide we're going to kill him. Let's take his coat and dip it in blood and go back and tell daddy's dead. And then, you know, Reuben and some of the other brothers say, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. And then let's sell him into slavery. Well, they sold him into slavery and eventually he became the prince of Egypt. And we know that God used him to minister to his own family, the same ones who had thrown him into a pit. That's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Maybe someone's thrown you into the pit and you've turned your back on him. This is a great time for you to reach out and minister to him. Amen? When they showed up, Joseph had the power to kill them all and said he loved them all. He made him go, he made him sweat it out a little bit. You guys know the story. But you know what? He eventually did love them all. And Joseph, because he was the one who was so faithful that he received a double portion. So his two, two of his sons then became full tribes. I know it's a, a lot of information, but I just want to make you understand why that happened. A double portion given to Joseph because of his faithfulness. His father gave him a double portion, which was usually what would happen within Jewish families with the oldest son. Joseph was not the oldest, but in this case, he did receive the double portion. It says there, And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in, and their common lands for their livestock and their property. So again, they cast lots, and even though they cast lots, God was in control. 
And the 12 tribes received the lots, nine and a half on one side, the other two and a half were outside of God's will. Those who would enter in, it was divinely inspired. You know what's interesting? It says in Proverbs, the lot is cast into the lap, but it is, it is, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even though these lots were cast, it was God who was using that to move. Today, God doesn't use lots. He uses His Word. He uses the moving of His Holy Spirit. He'll use godly counsel from other believers. Amen? And so those are the areas that we turn to today as opposed to rolling a seven. Amen? Go to God's Word. Seek Him first. Intimate fellowship. Begin there. Spend time in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to move upon your heart. Seek godly counsel. This method, again, should have ruled out any, anybody feeling like Eleazar or Joshua or any of the tribal leaders was somehow cheating them out. Again, God is always in control. Verse 5. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Here's the key. As the Lord God commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. What a great statement. God said it, so they did it. Can we use a little more of that in the church today? God said it, they did it. They didn't debate about it. They did it. God says it, that's enough. You plus God is a majority, by the way. Did you know that? Everybody's on the other side. You and God are on this side. That's the majority. And we need to make sure that we're hearing from God. I've told you guys this many times before. Some of you might be new. My pastor in San Jose, he was leaving a, a real thriving church in Southern California. It felt like maybe he's supposed to go to San Jose to take a church that was millions of dollars in debt and had no people. And how in the, why in the world would I want to do that? And Pastor Chuck said, why don't you pray about it? He said he was driving home and he had hundred reasons on this side not to go. My kids will be bummed at me. My wife will be mad at me. You know, right? Go down the list. Our church is thriving. These people are in debt. And, oh, what are we going to do? And he said he had a hundred things on this side and one thing on this side. God said. So he went. Amen? And God blessed it. And often we try to do the Ben Franklin clothes with God. It doesn't work out that way. You write all the good on one side, all the bad on the other. No, it, whatever God says, that's what we do. Amen? And too often we're trying to weigh things from the physical perspective instead of seeking God on our knees to know His heart. In direct contrast to the previous generation, God said it and they did it. The previous generation, God said it, they talked about it, and they decided not to do it. They listened to men instead of honoring God. Obedience will produce blessings and fruitfulness and intimate fellowship, while disobedience, as the previous generation found out, produced dryness and separation and missing out on God's highest, missing out on the very thing we were created for. Guys, obedience is not something that is commanded by God because He wants to keep you from having fun. Obedience is commanded by God because He loves you so much that He wants to keep you from harm. He wants to keep you in intimate fellowship with Him. He loves you. We need to learn to trust Him more. So wholly following the Lord, the distribution of the inheritance. Now let's move on. And this is really what I want to focus on tonight. This man by the name of Caleb. Man, I like this guy. If I was going to have any more kids, if I could, I, I think Caleb might be right up there on the name list. Because I love this guy's heart. That Caleb is going to remember God's promises when very few others do. And we're going to see that even though he's very advanced in years, that it doesn't matter to him. Because he's looking at God, not his circumstances. And man, this guy ministers to me, looking at God and not our circumstances. So let's begin in verse 6, looking at, again, Caleb remembering God's promises. 
Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now, the children of Judah, that's one of the tribes. Of that tribe was Caleb. Who else is of the tribe of Judah? Old Testament trivia time. Right? Jesus. Amen? Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus Christ. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Very good. Very good. I got, my, I got my kids this Bible game for, uh, for uh, Christmas. We play it all the time, and it's all Old Testament trivia. I, ne- I think some of you might need to buy that game. All right. Now, Judah was one of the tribes, and they go to Gilgal to meet him. Now, this is prior to the allotment being handed out, and I, loved, I love his heart because Caleb shows up. They're getting ready to you know, divide up the land, and he walks up to Joshua and says, Joshua. Before you divide up the land, you've got to remember something. God already gave me mine. God already told me where He wants me to be. And before you divide it up, you need to make sure that you obey the word of the Lord. And He comes in with, with some boldness. And I actually appreciate that. You know what? Again, we never presuppose and tell God what to do. Amen? Ever. But I do believe we can come before Him and say, Lord, as you promise in your word, I believe. Amen? You promise in your word, and I believe, Lord, based upon your word. You're faithful to your word. And this is the heart of Caleb as he comes to Joshua, and he reminds him. He comes to him at Gilgal, which, remember, is the first encampment after they crossed over the Jordan. It was kind of the headquarters on the Canaan side of of Jordan. And Caleb said to him, again, as they're preparing to cast these lots, he came to him and reminded him of something that had happened 45 years earlier. Now that's somebody who's trusting in God's promises. Some of us, we pray for 45 minutes and God doesn't answer and we're, oh man, God doesn't care. 45 days, no question, God has forgotten about me completely. 45 weeks, forget about it. I don't even know what I was praying 45 weeks ago, right? 45 years. This is a man who believed God's promises. God had him wait, he had to be patient, he had to wait upon the Lord, but God had promised him, and he did not forget God's promises. May we never forget God's promises for us. You guys are going to heaven, amen? Did you know that? And I'll tell you what, that ought to to be an attitude adjustment every morning. I'm going to heaven. Somebody runs into your car, it's all good, I'm going to heaven, amen? I got laid off at work, I'm going to heaven, doesn't matter. In light of eternity, nothing else matters. And so we see that, jo- that Caleb had this heart. He comes to Joshua and says, remember the word that came by Moses to us and the promise that God has for me. God made a promise to me. May we not miss out on those, promise, on those promises. Look at verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought back word to him as it was in my heart. So 45 years earlier, when he was 40 years old, they come to the, to the land, and these 12 spies go in. And two of the spies were Joshua and Caleb. Now, I don't want you to turn there, but I'm just going to read a, a small portion of that to you. And so what happens is they go into this land, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, again, what a great compliment to him, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent us from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. 
So Moses sent them. They went out in obedience. Later you can look it up. It's Numbers 13 and 14. And in that text, it says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they came up through the south, came to Hebron, keep, in mind, keep that in mind, Ahaman, Sheshah, Tamai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Anak, the Anakim. They are also known as what? The what? Giants. Okay? So they went into the land, and now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there they cut down a branch of one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. How big were these grapes? You've got to have two guys carrying one cluster of grapes on a pole. I'm thinking bowling ball-sized grapes. These things are huge. So God said, it's a land flowing of milk and honey. They go into the land. They spy out the land. They're coming back with the fruits of the land. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and come back to Aaron and Moses and all the congregation of the children of Israel at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, all the congregation, and showed them the fruit. Then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. Here's a sad word in the Bible. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. So everything that God said is true. The land is flowing with milk and honey. We've seen it. But the people are really big there. We've got to forget about the, the size of people and remember the size of our God. Amen? Quit looking at the size of the circumstances and the size of the trials and the size of the trouble and remember the size of our God. And sadly, we see that they went out and spied out the land and they brought back some of the figs and the pomegranates and this huge cluster of grapes and 40, the number of testing in the Bible. They return. And there's ten faithless spies waiting there. Two guys come back, yeah, it's rocks, it's better than we think. No more manna, it's going to be great. No more banana sandwiches anymore, right? We're going to head on in to the land. No more manna cotti, right? We're going we're to go into the land and we're going to have, there's grapes there. There's figs, there's pomegranates, the land flowing with milk and honey. And then the other ten, but there's huge people there. I don't think we should go. I think we should stay back and miss out on God's highest. And sadly, they would fall into that trap because it says, the cities are fortified, they're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants. The Malachites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea. And along the banks of the Jordan, these guys were totally wimping out. You know what? We've seen the land. It is fruitful, but... The Anakins live there. Now, the Anakim, Anak means strong, thick neck. That's what it means. So much as strong, thick-necked individuals. And they're thinking, you know, not so much. You know, manna's not so bad. Let's just stay out here, and we don't want to go in there and fight any more battles. They saw both the fruitfulness and the giants. And guess what, guys? Often those two go hand in hand. The giants and the fruitfulness are in the same place. The struggles and the trials of life are in the very same place where God is going to do great work. Why? Because where's the enemy going to go? He's going to show up where God is moving. He's going to show up where, God's, where people are being used mightily by God. You're not having any trials in your life. You're not walking for the Lord. Amen? Because if you're walking for the Lord, Satan's resources that are limited are going to come against those who are on fire for God. They had the promise of God's word. But they saw the giants. They had a choice to make. 
trust and have faith in God's word in spite of their circumstances or abandon God's word because of their circumstances. You know what? We face that stuff all the time. Trust in God's word in spite of our circumstances. That's where you're going to grow. Or abandon God's word because of your circumstances. And as we're going to see later on, the greatest source of growth is always times of great difficulty. It says there in verse 7, I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. In Numbers 13, in verse 30, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. Ten guys are going, there's giants there. And all the people are murmuring, Oh yeah, there's giants. What have you done to us, Moses? And then Caleb stands up and says, He quieted the people, be quiet. And he said, let's go up at once, because we can take care of them. I like Caleb, amen? Let's go on up. God's on our side. Caleb spoke from his heart. His positive enthusiasm wasn't him being psyched up by, and I hope this is going to work. But you know what? He knew God, and he trusted him. Guys, we can try to psych ourselves up in the midst of a trial, and we're going to struggle. But we need to know God in such a way that we know he's going to come through, not just think. Amen? And the more times he does come through, the more we realize that he will again. He's a faithful God. True faith is not a hope so, it's a no so. May we live, love, witness, and pray like we really believe what we're saying. How many of you believe? Don't raise your hand because God will know if you're lying. How many of you really believe that Jesus Christ could come back next week? Okay. You know what? He could, amen? Are we living like it? No, don't bear false witness. Amen? You know what? We believe he could, but if we really believe that he would, would we not share our faith a little bit more than we do? Wouldn't we be a little more excited about God? Wouldn't we make him more of the priority in our life if we thought he might be coming? Well, he might. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and we ought to mean it. Amen? And we ought to be living like he could be coming back any day. Verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren, these are the ten, who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. What did he say? He, what? Wholly followed the Lord my God. All the other people murmured. They made the heart of the people melt. You had ten discouragers and two encouragers. Which are you? Are you a discouragement to people or are you an encouragement? Are you Barnabas, the, you know, the son of encouragement? Do you come alongside and encourage people in their faith? Are they drawn closer to God if they've spent time with you? Or are we like the ten spies who make people's heart melt? It came back and discouraged the people. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. They're huge. We're like little insects to them. And I find it interesting that these spies referred to themselves as insects. And we're going to see why in a moment. But here we got, you got two encouraging the people. We can do it. We can take care of them. And the other ten saying there's giants in the land and we're like grasshoppers. This is why we don't have democracy in the church. Because it would have been ten against two. And sadly, the people listened to the ten instead of heeding God's word. The encourager said, trust God's word. And the other one said, man, your circumstances are, oh, man, forget it. I don't know how you do it. You ever had Christians say that kind of stuff to you? Bro, I don't know how in the world you're doing this. I got no idea. Bro, man, that's rough. Wow, if I were you, I'd quit. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the encouragement, right? I'm cheered up now. I feel like going right back out, right? And you know what? As Christians, we ought to be those who are not 
discouraging people, but encouraging them. Discourage means without courage. And who's the one who gives us courage? Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, in Him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the word all means all. And I can do all things. So I don't have to, again, if I'm in Christ, if I'm walking with Him, I have nothing to fear. If we truly believe what God's Word says, it should impact how we live. Remember this, fear and anxiety and worry are all the opposite of faith. Amen? The answer to anxiety is not Ritalin, it's Jesus. That's what it is. It's not a drug. You don't need to loosen up with a few beers. That's not what you need. You need Jesus Christ. We don't need spirits, we need the Spirit. Amen? We need the Spirit of the living God dwelling within us. And fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. Does that mean, as Christians, we should never struggle with fear? No. It means we will, but guess what? We ought to know where to turn when it happens. Amen? When we're anxious, who do we turn to? When we're worried? Because when we're worried, we're forgetting who's in control. When we're anxious, we're forgetting who's in control. When we're fearful, we're forgetting how great our God is. Amen? That He's greater than any fear before us. We are grasshoppers in their eyes. God would say... Those are giants to you, but they're grasshoppers to me. It's interesting, in Isaiah 40, it says this. He that sits upon the circle of the earth, I love that, by the way. Those of you who are into science, he who sits upon the circle of the earth, written in Isaiah chapter 40, when everybody on this planet thought the world was flat. And it says in the Bible, he who sits upon the circle of the earth. God's word rocks, amen? Amen. Scientists keep changing their mind. The word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? It doesn't change. And God's word is where we put our faith and where we put our hope. He says, He that sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants there are like grasshoppers to him. So in God's eyes, the giants were grasshoppers. They came back and said, we're like grasshoppers. And God would say, no, they're like grasshoppers. They're like insects to me. You're looking from the wrong perspective. You're looking through your eyes instead of mine. And because they were looking through their eyes, they were going to miss out on God's highest. We must learn to see our enemies, our foes, our trials, our struggles through God's eyes and not our own. Israel heeded the word of of the ten discouraging spies. Fear came into the camp. Israel murmured, oh, that we had just died in Egypt. The heart of the people fell. Now, how did Caleb respond? I wholly followed the Lord. Joshua and Caleb at the people's faithless response, heeding the word of God over the words of because they listened to the word of men over the word of God, it says in the text that they tore their clothes. They were so grieved to see the people turning to the words of men over the word of God that they tore their clothes. And then they gave a good report. And this is also back in Numbers 14. Don't turn there, I'll just read it to you. It's verses 6 through 10. It says, But Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows of milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So when you stand for God, people always receive it cheerfully. Is that what happened? They stood up for God, they proclaimed the truth with great boldness, and then they wanted to stone them. 
Not get stoned with them like they would in Santa Cruz, but stone them. And it says here, Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting before the children of Israel. So these guys stood up when nobody else would, and he said, The giants are bread for us. Now I love this. Because the giants, the giant problems, the giant difficulties, really are God's sins into our lives. Because they are bread for us. When we eat bread, we grow. Amen? And what's interesting, in the Lord's Prayer, we thank Him for our daily what? Bread. And I, you know, and there's another meaning now. Amen? You're thanking Him for your daily trials, right? I thank Him for my daily bread. Certainly the, the primary meaning behind that is our daily provision. But here He says, the enemy is but bread for us. Something for us to feed upon and grow. When we thrive in difficulty in the face of the giants, that's when we grow. Caleb gets it. Caleb says, let's go get them. You're forgetting who's on our side. Don't fear those guys. God's on our side. Let's go get them. What do we have to worry about? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Be holy following the Lord. Not just the words of Moses, but the word of God. And trust him and follow him completely. Verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. He followed the Lord and everybody else was afraid. And now, 45 years, you know, after, after he returns, Moses swore on that day, saying, The land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord your God. Because you followed the Lord in obedience, there's going to be a great blessing. And guess what? Your children are going to be blessed too. Guys, when we follow God with our whole heart, our whole family gets blessed. And when we reject God, our whole family is harmed. As dads especially, moms too, but dads especially, God's called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. If your home's a mess, start by looking in the mirror. Amen? Am I spending enough time in prayer? Am I spending enough time in God's Word? Am I spending enough time ministering to my family? Am I making God the priority in this house? Have I cleansed my home of stuff that shouldn't be here? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. You know what? Sometimes we have to be bold, even with our own children. And God said of Caleb in in Numbers, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall possess it. So not only did Moses say, this guy's wholly following God, but God said it. Man, can you get a better testimony than that? Moses said, he wholly follows God, and then God said, he wholly follows me. And because he does, I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to bless his children, and I'm going to bless his family. Now, the, bless- the blessings that Caleb's going to receive may not be the kind you're looking for. Say I'm going to deposit $50 million in his bank account. He didn't say I'm going to give him a, a G-ride, right? You know, he didn't say anything like that. What did he say? He said, I'm going to bless him and his family. Well, guess how that blessing was going to take place? A good part of it. Let's move on and we'll see. As he wholly follows the Lord, he's going to be fully satisfied following him. God's promise to bless him, though the people did not heed its counsel. And I want to say that too. God says, he wholly followed me. How many people responded and said, okay, he says we should go in. Let's all follow Caleb and Joshua in. How many people went in? Two went in, but how many of the three million? Zip. Now it's amazing to me that God's going to reward him when nobody listened. Shouldn't that be an encouragement to us? 
That means that God rewards faithfulness. The results are up to Him. Amen? God just rewards us for just being faithful to share the truth, to be bold about it, and then He is the only one that can bring the results. You can't save anybody. Amen? If I just tweak that argument a little bit better, then He'll get saved. Well, we should be studied to show ourselves approved. Amen? And we should be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But it's the Holy Spirit that draws people unto salvation. We just need to be faithful and obedient when the opportunities come to open up our mouth. And so God said He wholly followed the Lord, but nobody came with Him at that point. And that's an encouragement to me, that God rewards faithfulness as the results are up to Him. Will you give your life wholly to the Lord? Caleb followed the Lord wholly, and he didn't do it just for a few years. He did it for a lifetime. Look what it says in verse 10. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So, he reminds him of a promise that was made. We went into the land, we came back out, we told the people, they wanted to kill us. The Lord said, I'm going to bless you. And it's been 45 years. And he's been waiting. God said he's going to bless me, I believe it. And now the time came to cast lots, and he goes right up to Joshua and says, remember what God said? He already made a promise to me. And you know what? He's going to be faithful to his promise. Look what it says there. And he said these 45 years ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day. How old is he? 85 years old. Now, I want us to see some things about this guy, because I love this guy. He's 85. Now, most people are thinking at 85, recliner, bag of chips, and a remote. Right? Cabin on the lake. You know, rocking chair on the porch. Something, right? But watch Caleb. This is why I love this guy. Because Caleb is not looking for retirement. Caleb's heart is, man, God's got so much more he wants to do with me and in me and through me. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do. So look what it says there in verse 11. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. What does he say? I'm 85, I'm ready to go. Let's go, Lord. God made some promises to me, and he told me he was giving me the land of the giants. And that's what I want, Lord. Nothing less than that. Bring it on. I wanted to go 45 years ago, everybody wimped out, now it's time. Let's go get them, Lord. I want to go in there with you. I want to go take that mountainous, rigorous land. He wholly follows the Lord until the very end. His desire is to finish strong, not to retire young. Amen? It's not early retirement. By the way, people ask me that. What kind of retirement plan do you have? I got, I got two. Rapture or death? That's it. You got, if I'm up here drooling on myself, I'm going to keep teaching God's Word until I'm dead. That's it. Why? Because does God like, okay, 65, gifts up. And that's not what happens, amen? If you're called by God, you use it till you're done. And we ought to be getting more in love with Him, not less, amen? My prayers if God tarries and I'm 65 or 85 or 105 teaching God's Word, I would pray that I'm more in love with Him then than I am now, amen? And I would think that would make us more effective then, amen? As we fall more in love with Him. Caleb, I'm 85, I'm strong, I'm ready for more, let's go get it. Not reining in, but reaching out. Not pulling back. Can I encourage you? Pulling back. Give me an example of someone doing that in the Bible. I don't see it. 
But I hear people talk about it all the time. Well, I'm older now, and I'm going to just pull back. Hey, I'm older now. i got less time. Let's get after it. Amen? My life has been a vapor. Now look at the last point. Not only did Caleb remember God's promise, but he puts it into action. He acts faithfully upon God's promise, even in the face of overwhelming circumstances, even though he's advanced in age, and even though there's giants in the land. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke in that day. If you've heard in that day how the Anakim were there. Now, he's 85. He is only one of two from that generation that gets to go in. That means he's, him and Joshua are the two oldest guys there. He could have said, give me a cabin on the Mediterranean. Right? Give me a beach house on the Sea of Galilee. He says, give me the mountain range where the giants are. That's where I want to go. So he's, he's not even just asking for it. He's insisting on it. He's like, give me the most mountainous, toughest, where the greatest enemies are. God promised me I could have it. I want it. We're usually like, toughest stuff. Someone else wants it? That's all good. Go ahead. And I'm old now. I've done a lot of stuff. And... You know, i got a lot of marks on my arm, and it's all good. If some younger guy wants to take it, go, God bless you, go get it. That was not Caleb at all. Caleb's name means dog, by the way. That's kind of rough. Name of your kid, dog. But you know what? He was like a pit bull, though. This guy is 85, and he's saying, you know what, Lord, I don't want a condo, I don't want to retire, I want to see what you're going to do with me the rest of the way. And you know what, the fact that I'm 85 now, you've still given me strength, and let's go get those thick-necked giants. Let's go get them. I'm ready. The land he had spied out 40 years earlier was the land that he desired to go finish the work. He wasn't looking for a condo or a cabin, but a challenge. You know what, this reminds me of somebody. My father. Those of you who know my dad, he's in his 70s. He, when we first came here, he, he's been a pastor for almost 50 years now. Might be over 50 years now. And when we first came here, I was teaching at Calvary San Jose, and I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but I was teaching on Sunday morning to several thousand people. And while I was teaching, I felt like the Lord telling me, you're done here. This is your last time. You're done. Time for you to go plant a church. And while I'm teaching, I had an altar call, and my little brother came forward and gave his life to the Lord. And I didn't even know he was there. So I go walking out after the message, and my dad's standing in the foyer, and he's weeping. And I thought he was weeping for my brother, and certainly that was part of it. And he hands me a note. And I grab the letter from him, and it says, Son, God has confirmed in my heart that you're done here. God told me the same thing. And he said, Son, wherever you go, I'm supposed to go with you and be your assistant pastor. My dad, be my assistant. How humbling is that? He came over here and set up chairs and made coffee and taught for me when I wasn't here when we had five people and, and what a blessing and you know what he's in his 70s now and there was a time coming where over in San Jose the church you know it's a larger church and the pastor had left and there's a younger pastor and he's looking for an assistant and I've been praying about it and I went to my dad and my dad's over there now overseeing the staff overseeing the Bible college teaching on Sunday nights he's in his 70s and every time we talk we end, we end our conversation with two words finish strong hey dad finish strong Caleb Finish strong. Amen? May we not think that we've been put out to pasture by God. God is not through with us if we're still breathing in and out. Amen? God still has more He wants to do. And Caleb was a man who understood. He was becoming stronger and better and deeper and more spiritual and in a greater understanding of who God is. And that ought to be 
the heart of every one of us in this room. In the Old Testament, we've said this many times, Old Testament pictures are pictures of New Testament principles. And I believe Caleb is a picture of how God wants you and I to grow spiritually and more vibrant and more vigorous and more virile in our faith every single day until we die. Amen? Keep growing. Keep going. Keep moving on in our faith. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I, he says there in the next verse, look what he says. Now therefore give me the land and the Anakim are there and their cities great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. You know what? He didn't want cushy comfort. He wanted a challenge and he was ready. And he said, I don't want to be complacent. If I sat on a rocking chair, my life would be over. I want to go do something that's going to make an impact for eternity. It shall be that the Lord will drive them out before us. Verse 13. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. And you know how I love to look up what words mean in the Bible? Because nothing's in there by chance. Caleb was blessed by being given the mountainous place where the giants are. That doesn't sound like a blessing, does it? Some of you might say, I haven't been blessed, I've been cursed with my trials. No, you haven't. You've been blessed and you get to watch God work. Amen? Start looking at your trials as a blessing, not a curse. And so what, is, what happens here? Caleb is given Hebron. The word Hebron means fellowship. And I find it interesting that fellowship and intimacy grows in times of challenges and difficulty. In times of difficulty, it makes me look up. How about you? Amen? You don't get complacent in difficulty. The 23rd Psalm, one of my favorite parts of Scripture, it talks about being in the green pastures, right? Laying down in green pastures. But when you're laying down in green pastures, you don't necessarily know where your master is. You're just chilling. Where is he? He's around here somewhere. Life is good. Amen? But when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're hanging on to him every step of the way. Amen? And so we see that Hebron, this place where the giants are, this place where the thick-necked enemy is, this place of mountainous ranges and going up and down a rigorous place, is also named fellowship. Because it's in those places where we have the deepest fellowship with God. Amen? In times of trial and difficulty and in rigorous places. We're almost done. Look at the verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb and the son of Jephunneh and the Kenizzite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. You're going to see that six times mentioned about Caleb. That he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel and Hebron or fellowship or intimacy became his inheritance. The land of former difficulty once inhabited by the giants will become a testimony to the mighty hand of God to generations to come. Guys, when we go through the toughest stuff, people will be talking about it generations later. You know what happened to my grandparents? And then here's what God did. Amen? When God moves in a mighty way, it blesses the generation to come. Like our former difficulties and current trials, we need to understand that God is faithful and we should wholly follow Him in the midst of it even in the midst of the enemies, even in a terrain of giants surrounding us. Lastly, and the name of Hebron formerly was Kerjath Arba. Kerjath Arba means city of the four. And I believe it means city of the four giants. Its name went from the city of the four giants to fellowship. I like that. Place where everybody was fearful and nobody wanted to enter in to fellowship. 
You can look back at that trial and realize now it was a blessing from God instead of seeing four giants in your way. Amen? Anak was the king of it, and Anak was destroyed. The result of holy, holy following God turns giants in difficulty. Look what it says. Then the land had rest from war. When we follow God, the place of difficulty becomes a place of rest. When we follow God wholly, the place of giants and the enemy that's rigorous comes a place not where we rest in a rocking chair, but where we rest in Him because we've seen God move and our faith has grown. Amen? So you got to love Caleb. you got to love this guy. Through a life of totally committed and wholly following the Lord, he turned that place, God used him to turn that place of difficulty into a place of great rest. May you and I learn from that example. If you're in difficulty tonight, you're not alone. Amen? God is faithful. May we be so in love with the Lord that we would say not in a way of trying to be somebody who pretends like suffering's a good thing, but Lord, bring it on, whatever it is, if it's going to draw me closer to you when it's done. Amen? Whatever it is, Lord, bring it on, because I love you and I want to know you better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the example in your word of wholly following you and the fruit that comes of serving you with our whole heart, even in the midst of, of great difficulty, when there are giants in the land. Father, we don't want to enter into physical rest, but we want to enter into your spiritual rest. We want to know you in a more intimate and a personal way than we ever have before. Father, I do pray for those in the midst of trials right now. May they know they're not alone. May they know there's a loving and a faithful God who walks with them. Lord, as the trials are before us, may we not be fearful or anxious, but Lord, may we trust in you. So Father, we love you and we praise you. We worship you. You're a great and awesome God. We look forward to watching you work in 2006 in every one of our lives, Lord. As we get older, may we draw closer. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. For I am convinced